Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Hey, before we get going, I gotta give a shout out. We had a a middle school, high school retreat this weekend. Y'all here? I told him, I said, if you all are lame, you will all come up and dance on stage. So good job. Way to to bring it. I love seeing what God's doing in in our students, middle school, high school, college, all of it. Awesome, guys. Love it. Dion's going to read the scripture, Matthew chapter 19. Before we get going, this man's been with us for a long time, and he just signed himself a professional football contract. Yeah. Just got to get you the Chiefs one of these days. We got to get you the Chiefs, all right? <laughs> yeah. No, I told you this first hour, I love you. been with you many years. I love the heart that you have for people, the gift that you have. Athletics, it's, it's, a, it's a unique, rare gift. You and I have it, but most people don't, <laughs> all right? My prayer for you and our challenge for you is you use your platform to make Jesus famous, okay? I love it. Proud of you. Read our scripture. Matthew 19, starting at verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from from birth, and there are eunuchs who have made them eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Awesome. Well, let's jump into this. So this is our fourth week. If you're new with us, you haven't been around, we're four weeks on Jesus and what he taught around sexuality. And so again, we'll jump into this. We'll just jump in uh, with, with a combination, hopefully, of grace and truth. Um, a couple of fundamental things before even going. The first thing, number one, you are broken. <laughs> I am broken. Our sexualities are broken. That's, the re- that's just the, the re- reality for Fallen man, you're broken. We know that. The other truth is that Jesus loves you and pursues you in the midst of your brokenness. Not when you clean it all up, but in the midst of it, he loves you. You are loved. And it's with that understanding, those two things held, that I'm broken, but yet loved, why we can engage this conversation with with truth and grace and kindness As we've wrestled with these four weeks, I know we've had a lot of good discussions and city groups and friends and and wrestling through things. And as you've wrestled through these sermons, here's what I would encourage you to ask. Where, as we talked about this, did I experience fear? 
And where, as we press into these issues, did I experience shame? Fear and shame. When I heard this word from the stage, oh, I just did this. And instead of just like pressing away from that and saying, oh, no big deal, what if you were curious about that? And what if you actually stepped in towards that? And instead of becoming angry or defensive, uh, uh, what if you asked some really hard questions? Why did that bother me? Why did I experience this emotion? Because I acknowledge as we get into the discussion of sexuality, fear and shame surround this topic. So let's jump in again as we try to understand what Jesus is teaching here. So this whole passage in Matthew 19 comes from a question. And it's a question, we talked about this last week, where the Pharisees, who's the religious leadership, came to Jesus and said, is it lawful to divorce our wives for any cause? And we looked at last week that these are not good godly men who are, who are trying to make sure they follow God and, and care for their wives. It's what happening, what's happening instead is they are divorcing their wives because she burned their toast. And they're using the Old Testament to justify them casting their wives out and divorcing their wives and getting new ones. And it's in that context of that question that Jesus presses against their practices and how they're operating. And he says, no, you can't divorce your wife for any cause. You can't cast her out because you don't like her manners. No, you made a covenant with her and she is your wife and she is not to be cast away. That's what Jesus does to these men. Let's, let's look at verse 4 and we're going to read some of the same passages last week then move on to some different and, and through a different lens here. Here's what he says. Have you not read that, the, that he who created them from the beginning, male and female. Now, as we read this, I want you to see who Jesus credits for the design of sexuality. Have you not read that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them, the idea is that he, God, made them male and female. And he, God, said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And so the one who made them now sees them, verse 6, not as two, but as one. And what therefore God has joined together, who joined together? God. Let not man separate. Jesus is doing so much here to a group of Jewish spiritual leaders who had walked away from the design, Jesus prophetically speaks into that, against that design. One of the things we teach about Jesus is, is he was prophet, priest, and king. Three of the roles found in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled, prophet, priest, and king. We see Jesus right here operating as a prophet to Israel saying, you guys have walked away from the design of God. Jesus was not afraid to disrupt, was he? Have, have, we went through Luke. Did you see that? He is not afraid to disrupt in a healthy way to bring good change. And in one sentence, Jesus affirms the sexual design given by God in the beginning in Genesis. One sentence. Because when he quotes a man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. He is quoting Genesis, the beginning. And he affirms the 
historical teaching of what sex and marriage looks like. One man, one woman in marriage. He, he who created them from the beginning, male and female. And so God's design is male, female coming together in this covenant partnership that will be called marriage. And this covenant partnership, it's a picture of something deeper. Like here's what we've got to see at Hill City. Marriage preaches a sermon. It preaches a sermon that marriage is meant to reveal the nature of God and his love and his covenant with humanity, his partnership with humanity. That when a husband and wife stands across from another, they say, I do, that they are mirroring, mirroring a covenant from God to humanity to join me to help bring flourishing to this world. Your marriage preaches a sermon. And we've looked at this before, this Jewish prayer shawl. It was central to the life of what it meant to be a Jew. And the Jewish men would wear this everywhere they go. They would have it over their shoulders like this. They would pray using these tassels. Um, all sorts of things in your scriptures will come alive as you look at this. You've heard of prayer closet. You heard that phrase, that's not a room in your house. This is a prayer closet. It's what it meant for Jewish men to go into their closet was to put this prayer shawl over them as they pray. And in a Jewish context of marriage, this prayer shawl represents God's covenant with Israel, them being his people, God pledging his faithfulness to Israel. This was the picture of that. And so in a Jewish wedding, this prayer shawl would be over the bride and groom, either like on a pole kind of over them, or the bride and groom would both stand underneath the same prayer shawl just like this as they read their vows, thus showing that the vows they were making with one another were a reflection of God and his covenant love for them. And so Jesus is teaching here God's design for flourishing. And that is, a man will leave his father and mother, and the woman will leave her father and mother, will hold fast, the King James word is cleave, here's what it means, stuck, inseparable. So God's order for flourishing will leave, here we go, cleave, covenant, then one flesh, sex. The order for flourishing, leave, cleave, sex. And inside this design, there is flourishing. That's what we believe. A man will leave. Here's what that means, men. You got to get a job. You got to be able to support a woman. Xbox is fine for six hours. For 60, a man will leave and cleave, pledge his undying commitment and devotion to a woman that may hurt him. No, that will hurt him. A man will leave what is comfortable, his singleness, and cleave to what is uncertain, the heart of a woman. Men, you with me? Are you any married guys with me? You're brave enough to say, yep, I'm with you. I'm going to stay focused. I had a joke, but I'm, I'll get myself in trouble. All right. 
a man will leave what is easy and cleave to what is difficult. A man will leave personal freedom and cleave to commitment. Yes, I said the C word. Commitment. A man will leave his demand to receive and cleave to a desire to give and serve. That's God's design. And it's so good. So good. A man will leave his father and mother, hold fast, cleave, be completely committed to another woman and her the same for him. And then out of that design, watch out, beautiful intimacy, beautiful sex. That they are not two, Jesus says, but no, they are one. And you can't separate oneness without there being a tear. And we've walked, I've walked with people in our church who have been through a painful thing called divorce. And it is literally a tearing. And it's painful. And there are tears and there's hurting and there's uncertainty. And I hate it for you. And I've wept with you. Inside God's design, leave, cleave forever, beautiful sex. And when that design is broken, there's pain. I, I was talking to, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, I think it was a woman recently who, who has been through, it was in a long-term relationship that was very sexual. It wasn't marriage, it was a very sexual relationship, and eventually, yeah, it was a woman, because she got left by the man. He's like, I don't want this anymore. And a year later, I'm talking to her, and she says to me, Daniel, why can't I get over this? Why is this so painful? And here's what I told her, because you're going through a divorce. Now, I know there wasn't a paper signed, but you were, you were going through leave, cleave, one flesh, torn apart. And that's why it's so painful. That's why promiscuity is so destructive. And, I, and again, I don't say that, like, how dare you? Anyone else struggle in this room? But that's why it's so dangerous and destructive. And so Jesus is pulling these men who, who have walked away, they're divorcing their wives and saying, listen, men, these, you can't cast out your women because they burned your toast, like you made a covenant to them, don't underestimate the covenant because what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we believe at Hill City, marriage is a covenant. It, we enter in as a lifelong partnership. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I tell this couple, if you have any sense of you that says, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just, just get a divorce, I tell them, don't get married. We must view marriage as this permanent thing. And, and to, the, to the unbelieving world, they look like, that. oh, that's so like extreme. That whole covenant thing with marriage is so extreme. What if you're not happy? What if you have irreconcilable differences? It's interesting because we believe in covenants in other places besides marriage. Let me give you an example. Children. If Emily and I one day said, you know what? Our kids... We're sick of them. We have irreconcilable differences. They want to clean, we want them to clean your room. They don't want to. They're out. Would we not be crucified by the world? Of course we would. Why? 
we believe in covenants with children. Why can't we believe it with marriage? So, so Jesus, he's reordering these men to know marriage is this lifelong covenant. Now why? Why would God design marriage as this lifelong, why would he have a husband and wife look at each other and say, I promise till death do us part. You know why? Because marriage is difficult. Married people, you with me here? It's difficult. It's a fight. Here, here's how Tim Keller describes marriage. I love this. He says, marriage is glorious, but it's hard. It's burning joy and strength, and it's also blood, sweat, and tears. It's humbling defeats and exhausting victories. And in my marriage, the victories Emily and I have that we fought for have come with lots of blood, sweat, and tears. Marriage is difficult. We got a big single crowd here, right? Let me talk to you for a minute. You've got to begin to view marriage as this lifelong covenant. Because here's the reality. When you get married, most of you are going to be in your 20s when you get married. Not all of you, most of you. When you get married, you don't really know the person you are marrying. Now, you know your version of that person. You don't really know them. As a matter of fact, 20-year-olds, you don't really know you yet. Any older people agree with that one? I'm still learning more about my heart and who I am. So you don't really know them. You know a part of them, and you know what you like about them. But the reality is over the years of marriage, you are going to get to know them, and guess what? You're not going to like everything. And the person that you marry when you're 24, that person changes. When Emily and I got married, I married a beautiful young girl with no children. Now I'm married to a little bit beautiful, a little bit older. I won't tell you how old. I've learned this lesson. A little bit older woman with two children. She's totally different than the woman I married. And so when we don't view marriage as this covenant, then here's what we say. Well, I'm in as long as I'm happy. Well, can I tell you, there will be a time in your marriage when you will not be happy. I tell this in pre-marriage counseling, like there will be a day, and all young people are going to hate this, there will be a day when you look across at your spouse one day and you think to yourself, is this the rest of my life? Any married people really say amen on that one? <laughs> like, oh, I just got elbowed. So <laughs> there will. It's difficult. So if you are single, hear me. If you are single, I'm talking to you. We've got young people. I know you're a long ways from marriage. We've got some of you that are a little bit closer. If you are single, take marriage seriously. Don't jump into it because Pinterest makes it look cool. Marry a loyal friend, not a movie character version of what a guy or a girl should be. Like, ladies, take any Ryan Gosling movie and don't marry that. <laughs> I had Tom Cruise in my notes, but I know half of you be like, I don't know who Tom Cruise is. <laughs> marry a loyal friend. Marriage is about, marriage is about four, uh, two to four percent passion. And young people tend to choose someone only based on, mostly based on passion. 
But the problem is what you're marrying for is about 2 to 4% of what a real marriage is. Marriage is friendship. It's partnership. It's a little bit passion. Now, we're trying to get that increased around the household, but it's just a little bit. Come on now. Verse 10. Again, I got a big enough scripture. I'm going to get myself in trouble. All right. Matthew 19, verse 10. This is great. The disciples hear Jesus say this, and they got it because here was, this is so good. This is the disciples' response. Well, disciples said to him, well, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Here's what the disciples said. Okay, if marriage is this lifelong covenant with one man and one woman, Jesus, then I'm out. That's what they just said. I love Jesus' response. Verse 11. So Jesus says to them, okay, not everyone can receive this saying. Now, pause. I wrestled with this all week. What does Jesus mean? Not everyone can receive this saying. I think that's response to the disciples saying, well, I'll just live as a bachelor. He says, okay, good. Not everyone can receive that. Not everyone can do that, but here's, he goes on. But only to those whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So what's Jesus doing here? So the disciples say, well, if that's the case, I'm not getting married. And Jesus says, okay. There are eunuchs. And he introduces this, this category. And so a eunuch is simply someone that can't have children, can't reproduce. And he says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. They have a genital abnormality. Ab- I can't say that word. You know what it is. That prevents them from having sex or having children. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Here's what he means. In that time, it was very common that men would be castrated for, t- for service for kings. So a king, if, if a man was going to be their servant, they would castrate them to not fear the man would be sleeping with their wives or, or their concubines. That was a very common practice then. And you actually see in the, in the gospel, in, in the New Testament, where eunuchs come to receive Christ. And there are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Here's what he says. Disciples, well, fine, I'm not, if that's the case of marriage, I don't want it. Okay. Then what you're saying is you're going to choose to be a eunuch, live as a eunuch, for the sake of the kingdom. That you are going to remain single and refrain from sex for a bigger calling. Now, side note. One of the things, I don't know if you noticed, I love here that Jesus does. In order to redirect their thinking, he, like he does a lot of times, picks someone who they think is less than. And he elevates that person. It's the upside down kingdom. Eunuchs in these days were seen as less than. They were not allowed to go into the temple. If you would have seen a eunuch, you would have thought to yourself, well, they are cursed by God. And Jesus just pulls those people that probably even the disciples look at like, uh... And he elevates them to actually use them an example of what it means to live an exemplary life for Christ. It's really cool. And the early church, as the, as the early church comes out of this, the early church like redefined what it mean, meant to be single. And in every other religion and in every other worldview, like people that couldn't have, like a woman that was barren, 
or a man that was unable to father children were seen as disgraceful. Well, these early Christians came in, and no longer did they teach that. As a matter of fact, they didn't pressure people to marry, and to those who were single or decided to live as eunuchs, they elevated them as exemplary models of what it means to follow Christ. See, this new version of Christianity, or this version of Christianity was an upside-down religion, an upside-down belief where barren women were just as important as men who had children. And it turned the world upside down. The Christian adults who were single were a witness to the coming kingdom that they showed that and their hope and significance was not tied to whether or not they had children, but was tied to Jesus and the hope of a bigger calling. And so never at this church, if you are single, do we ever want you to feel like, well, you are less than or you can't do that because that's not the case. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name's Paul. He wrote most of your Bible. He was single. There's another guy, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, Jesus, who was single and didn't have sex. So as we talk about marriage and sex, please don't hear that it's ultimate. And if you can't do those things, you're not, that somehow you are less than. So Jesus is telling these disciples, okay, here's the design for marriage. Well, disciples, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. Here's what Jesus says. Okay, good, that's fine if you want to do that. But if you want to have sex, get married, and if you want to get married, understand that that's a lifelong covenant. That's where Jesus is redirecting his disciples. And these disciples who go out and begin this, this, this thing called Christianity, they completely live this out. Like this is what made the Christian, the early Christian world, talking first century, what made them so countercultural is how they viewed sex and marriage and money. Tim Keller says this, he says the culture of the first Christians were generous with their sex and stingy with their money. Sounds like our culture. Generous with their sex, stingy with their money. These new Christians came around and they were stingy with their sex and generous with their money. Does that, does that define us? Is that, is that what we as a church are becoming? I hope. So these new Christians, they, they turned it upside down because they gave a the world, a new version, a new vision for marriage and sex. And Christianity spread out of that. One man, one woman in marriage. So why is God so protective about sex? Why does he call his disciples, and I believe call us, to this high view of sex? I think there's two main reasons let me quickly hit. First, sex is a metaphor for God. Not just marriage, but actually sex itself is a metaphor for God. It isn't just recreational. Sex preaches a bigger sermon. Sex is an act of worship which two human beings reflect the image of God that though they are two, they, though they are two, they become one person. And it preaches the reality of God. That as a husband pursues his wife, that he teaches her that God pursues him. 
So sex is a metaphor for God. That's why sex is it's passionate, it's intimate, it's vulnerable, it's pleasurable, because it's meant to show something bigger. So God's protective about sex because it's a metaphor for him and his love. Number two, and I want you to hear this, God is protective about sex because it's about flourishing. It's about human flourishing. And here, the church, we must change our message. This is what naked truth is. We must change our message from don't have sex. That is a really, really crappy message. That is not God's message. One of my favorite things to do, I, I spoke at the college midweek a few weeks, a few months ago, and I told them, this is my opening line, I think, God wants you to have really good sex. And they always look at me like, I've never had a preacher tell me that before. <laughs> now, I go into the design of where that's found. <laughs> We must change our message because the Bible does not have a prude view of sex. It will actually make you blush if you look at the Bible's message about sex. And a faithful covenant marriage is not a prude view of sex. As a matter of fact, it is a marriage where a marriage is free from the bonds of shame and its commitment. It is erotic, sensual, playful, and passionate. God's not shy about sex. But in God's design, there is protection, there is flourishing. Now, for who? Everyone, all of humanity, men and women, there's protection in design. But this is what I believe. That when Jesus gives us design for marriage, he is most protecting women. He's most protecting women. Our daughters are suffering the weight of the sexual brokenness of our culture more than men. A third of our daughters will be sexually abused. That's not a statistic in Africa or Asia, that's in Midwest America. One third of our daughters. And when Jesus restrains men here, he is protecting them, but I believe he is most protecting women. That there's flourishing in the design, and that ultimately I believe our women have deeper wounds. So sex is, is designed to come out of this overflow of covenant love. And so hear me, because we all want great sex. Great sex comes from oneness, from cleaving, from oneness. Oneness doesn't come from great sex. That's what our culture will teach you. If you, have, if, if you pursue this, then you'll have oneness. It's broken. Great sex comes from oneness. So outside of this design of oneness, it's, sex is always incomplete. It's sex minus commitment, minus connection, minus covenant. Okay, single man, let me talk to you. If you would understand, if you would understand that, that at the heart of a woman's sexuality, it's not your body, it is their desire to be loved and treasured. That is the heart of a woman's sexuality. If you would understand that, it would greatly change how you treat them.
Single men, I love you. I love you, but hear me. When you sleep around, you can pretend to be a man without actually having to be one. Because a man can make a commitment and keep with it. And a man doesn't demand without first committing. Girls, single girls, let me talk to you. What if you refuse to give your body to a man until he made a covenant to you? And then you give it freely. Without fear that will he still be there tomorrow? I know most of you don't listen to Carol King. I do. She's a songwriter from a few years ago. She wrote a song called, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? I want you to hear the lyrics to this. Talking to the man. Tonight you're mine completely. You give your soul so sweetly. Tonight the light of love is in your eyes. But here's what she says. Will you still love me tomorrow? And many of you women have felt the brokenness of sexuality because as you've participated in things, that question's in the back of your mind. Will he be there tomorrow? And marriage is the answer to that. Yes, he will. So when we step out of God's design and we want sex without the covenant, without covenant to one here's ultimately what we're saying. I don't love you enough to commit to you. I want sex, but I want to keep my options open. And so to give yourself deeply in sex to someone is a type of oneness and vulnerability and intimacy that's not meant to give flippantly. And outside of God's design, there will be destruction. So Hill City, what's this mean for us? Let's, let's wrap this up as we start to get practical here. Um, at Hill City, we hold and believe an orthodox view of sex and marriage. And I want you to know that. That marriage and sex is one man, one woman in a covenant. And we believe that. And we don't believe that. I hope you never hear our posture of like, this is how it is, get over it. We don't believe it like that. Um, but we believe that. Like, we believe to get away from that means we have to completely change how we read the Bible. And we have to do this theological dance to try to include other things. Well, Jesus never talked about sex before marriage. Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Jesus never talked about pornography. Okay, but you got to see here, Jesus affirmed the design in Genesis. If Jesus wanted to change something, he had the opportunity to right now when he was asked this question. He could have said, well, you heard it said from the beginning, one man and one woman, but I say to you, has he done that in other places? Yes. He didn't do that here. He upheld it, which means if we believe Jesus is God, we can't pick and choose what we like about him and what we don't. To live under authority of Jesus means that we have to allow Jesus to inform our beliefs. 
And that doesn't make us a bigot. Now, do Christians act like it sometimes? Yeah, of course. I shudder getting on Facebook sometimes because of what, quote, Christians say. So there's a way to be a bigot. You can throw stones and you can make joking comments and use India windows to describe certain people and, and be a jerk and not represent Jesus well. But to hold to conviction with the balance, that tension of grace and truth, does not make you a bigot. Here's what Rick Warren says. I love this quote. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And we've got to hear that. We can, in love, disagree with someone and say, like, I love you, but I can't go with you here. And we can do that in a posture of grace and humility. Like, here's the reality. Brad and I disagree about all sorts of things. I mean, he likes the patriots, for God's sake. <laughs> Talk about, like, brokenness. And... <laughs> but we even disagree on, like, other things that are more important. We were at Elder Retreat, and we got it. Scott, Scott got us in a discussion, Brad and I, and Brad and I start arguing about it, and, and we both start raising our voice a little bit, and we look around, and no one's really sitting next to us, like, okay, we probably got to calm down. Like, we disagree with all sorts of things, but I love him like a brother. And we can love someone, yet disagree. And so at Hill City, like, we believe this. We believe the Bible is, is very clear on this issue around sexuality and that we have, that my beliefs and my truth must come, if you call yourself a Christian, come from the Bible. Now, if you don't, obviously you can do whatever you want. God gives you the freedom for that. But to say Jesus is my Lord means that that truth of him must shape my belief, not my beliefs and my feelings shape his truth. So culture at Hill City Church, um, all of our sexualities are broken. We just got to name that. We're all broken. And in our church, I'm so grateful. It's such a unique thing. Like almost half of our church is single. Any single people here today? There's a lot of you. Like this is so, it's so beautiful. This is so rare in churches. Most churches would do anything to have this. It's so cool. Um, so I'm going to speak to single people and please hear me. Not that they're the one, only ones that struggle with sexuality. That's a human thing and a married thing and an 80 year old thing. Okay. But let me speak to them. Because about 40% of you aren't married. Um, and you have all sorts of struggles. All sorts of struggles. Here's what I want to get you to see, and please come to Naked Truth Saturday. We'll talk about this more. But how you view sex will reveal how you view God. Do you hold sex as this really beautiful, honorable, good thing given by God for marriage? Or do you view it as a commodity? How you view sex will reveal how you view God. And hear me, we at Hill City, we love you enough to teach you the truth of how God reveals it. And we love you enough to walk with you as you struggle following that truth. Once you hear me again, we love you enough to teach you the truth and we love you enough to walk 
with you. Because there's a lot of churches, and many of you grew up in this, that the guy will pound the, like this and yell truth at you, but be unwilling to walk with you in it. Probably because he's struggling with the same thing. And there are a lot of churches that in the name of inclusion and, and love, I think, get away from truth. And I'm going to argue, no, that's in fact not love. That we love you enough here to teach truth and then to walk with you through it. None of us have escaped the fall. And so Hill City Church, if you're new to us, I want you to hear our heart. Hill City Church is a safe community for you to struggle with sex outside of marriage. Now, are we going to tell you it's fine, do what you want? No. Are we going to walk with you and know it's a real struggle that's not easily fixed? Yes. Hill City is a safe place for you to struggle with same-sex attraction and even acting on that. For us to walk with you and help you, it's a safe place for that. Hill City Church is a safe place for men and women to struggle with pornography and masturbation and sexual fantasy and all those things. It is a safe place for that because we know we're broken. We know the fall has broken sexuality. And so if we can create a culture, which I believe we're doing, where there is, there's truth, but there's also a ton of grace, we provide a really cool gospel-centered culture. And it's awesome. Hear me, like, I know we all come in here and we want us to, like, put our faces on and, like, oh, everything's great. Do you not know that we know you're broken? <laughs> Do you really think you're fooling us? Like, I, people come to talk to me, and I can tell there's this weighty thing, like, okay, I need to talk to you about something, but, and they can't get it out. I, I just want to interrupt them. Okay, it's this, this, or this. Can we just cut to the chase? How did you know? I'm a prophet. I can see your heart. No! <laughs> Because I know, I know. We know you're broken. What? We know we're broken. And so just like any other era of brokenness, sexuality isn't the worst sin, like the, the, this sin that like makes you discounted and you're cast away from God. Like, no, we're broken. Can we name that brokenness and then keep pursuing truth and goodness together? We have a bunch college leaders. How many of you are here? Raise your hand. Okay, we tell our college leadership students this all the time, and I want you to finish the last sentence. We will walk with you through anything. That's Hill City Church. We will walk with you through anything, and when we believe that, when the gospel's true, there's nothing to hide, that creates a culture of not silence, but actually vulnerability and talking, and guess where healing comes? When it's spoken, it's talked about, and it's beautiful. Adults, married adults, we have a young church, and it's easy for us to look down on some of the struggles that they have, although we have them too, but to look down. Question, adults, are you willing to give these young people the same grace with their broken sexuality that you do yourselves and your greed? Because we all need a $400 Yeti cooler. So we also have a culture where it's, well, they're, they're just, they dress like this. We can't, we can't do that. Adult city groups. What is the culture of your group? Is your group a safe place for a married man to say, guys, I'm struggling with thoughts for a coworker, and to not be cast out, but actually be loved, embraced, and held? Adults, is your city group a safe place 
for a woman to say, I'm struggling with pornography because it's not just a man's issue. And for her to not be shamed and ridiculed, but her to be like, oh, okay, we love you. Let's walk with you through that. Like that is the heart of our church. So as we end here, we've got to understand this. Jesus is better. As we've talked about marriage, we believe it's awesome here, it's beautiful, it's a good thing. But never let us put marriage up as ultimate. Jesus is better than marriage. We believe in a high view of sex here. We believe it's a great gift given by God. Jesus is better than sex. And all of us, we got to remind ourselves that to ultimately follow Christ is to die to what I want at times in pursuit of what's better. That Jesus is better. If you weren't here with us a couple years ago, I did a sermon called The Tension of Grace and Truth, and I interviewed Samson, who's at Potter's house. If you go to our website, click Sermons, search Grace and Truth, you can listen to his interviews, the second half, and it is absolutely, his heart is amazing. Well, his story is one where he's had same-sex attraction for years, and he is now living as an adult, as a celibate adult, wrestling through this. And he serves college students to a level that I can't. He just has time to give. And he's, sometimes people look at them and he says they feel sorry for them. And he, this is so cool. You listen to the interview. I listened to this morning again. He said on stage, he said, I want you to know. And he had, I, his, his voice was breaking with like emotion. I want you to know the person in front of you today is fulfilled. He's fulfilled. Does he have struggles? Sure. Are there moments of loneliness? Sure. But Jesus is better. That's what he said. And this guy at times gets stones thrown at him from the church world, which is so sad. He also gets stones thrown at him from the unbelieving world because here's what they say to him. You've turned on us. You're not being true to who you are. And here's what he says to that, and I believe it's so good. He says, who I am, who Samson is, is more than a same-sex attraction. I'm way deeper than that. And so in your struggles, may you hear that Jesus is better and that his love defines you, not something else. And then may you also hear this as we end, that the reason you are loved by God and the reason you can come and take communion today, even though you struggled Thursday night, is because Jesus came, he lived the life that you couldn't. Jesus upheld God's sexual ethic and he died on your behalf. And he was raised overcoming that. And your identity, the reason you are loved is not because of what you did or didn't do or the fact that, well, I've cleaned myself up. That's not why you're loved. You're loved because Jesus was obedient. Jesus did it. And actually the Bible says he was tempted in every way you and I were, yet was it without sin. And so in the midst of your sexual brokenness, you are deeply loved. And let that be the truth that would begin to help you break silence. Let's pray together.